This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. The 2022 federal election was quite a ride. What we saw was a result that ushers in a change of government to Labor, sends the coalition into opposition for some deep reflection and the arrival of the biggest crossbench the Australian Parliament has seen since World War II. So in this squish shortcut, we'll get into where things have landed for those three blocks, dig into the trends that delivered that remarkable result and have a look at what's next. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, you and Larissa gave Squizzes a shortcut to being informed about the federal election with the Squizzy election series and Ask the Squiz Saturday podcast. A lot of territory was covered, but there's still some parts of the outcome that require explanation. Yeah, there sure is. There was a lot of discussion in the lead up to and during the election campaign about the coalition government under Scott Morrison trailing in the polls. But there was also a lot of caution about that because the polls got it so very wrong in 2019. And of course, there was a very unusual term of government that followed. Australia's falling out with China, bushfires, floods, drought, mouse plagues. Uh, It was all happening. And then, of course, the pandemic changed everything, uh, including Australians' relationship with government. If I had a dollar for every time I heard the word unprecedented in the last few years, I reckon I'd be sitting on a bit of coin, Claire. Uh, There will be a lot said in the coming weeks and months about what drove the election result. But let's start with the winners, and that's Labor under our new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. He was sworn in on the Monday after Saturday's election. It became clear on Saturday night that the coalition had lost and Scott Morrison conceded at about 10pm. What he said was that it was clear that it would only be Labor who could form a government, whether that was in a majority or a minority. And that count is ongoing. As things currently stand, Labor's on track to form a majority government by picking up enough seats from the coalition. And they would do that while recording a lower primary vote than they recorded in 2019. And it's so interesting because Labor's national primary vote of 33.3% in 2019 was considered a disaster and Bill Shorten resigned over that result. This time around, Labor's primary vote is on track to be about half a percent lower than that. All right. So that begs the question, how can Labor win in 2022 with a primary vote that's lower than the one they recorded at the election before it? It's a really good question Uh, and it's at the heart of how our preferential voting system works in Australia. So not only did Labor see a fall in support when it came to people putting them first on their ballot papers, the coalition did worse. They are coming in with a primary vote of about 35%, which is a hit of more than 6% on their 2019 result. Right. So Labor fell, but the coalition fell further and Labor has secured a larger share of preferences. It's exactly right. 
All right, I've got my head around it now. Uh, Claire, though, it didn't go all Labor's way. When we look at the result in Queensland, Labor didn't win a seat from the coalition there and they came under pressure from the Greens. Yeah, they sure did, uh, as did the coalition. The Greens have won the seats of Griffith from Labor and Ryan from the Liberal National Party. But Labor still does not hold a House of Representatives seat north of Brisbane. Uh, and given Labor put a lot of time and effort into winning back voters after a disastrous result in Queensland in 2019, uh, it's expected that the party will put a really big focus on that in their campaign review. One state where Labor's time and effort paid off was in Western Australia. Let's get into that next. Labor's gains in WA were the coalition's painful loss. Claire, take us through what unfolded there. So the Liberals took a more than 9% hit on their primary vote in Western Australia this election. Uh, How that played out is the entire Perth metro region, uh, aside from Canning MP Andrew Hastie's electorate, they've gone to Labor. And for the first time since 1998, two Labor MPs in Western Australia received a primary vote above 50%. That was Madeline King in Brand and Matt Keogh in Burt. Claire, that follows the coalition's record defeat at the March 2021 state election when they retained just two members in the lower house. Yeah, there's just a lot of love there for Labor. Uh, And now at the state and federal levels, Premier Mark McGowan has an incredibly high approval rating there, which even in the face of closed borders and vaccine mandates and COVID-19 restrictions, he's been able to maintain. Uh, And what campaign observers say that Labor did was to frame the federal election as a contest between Scott Morrison and McGowan rather than Morrison and Albanese. And the experts say how things played out during the pandemic was also a big factor in the election. Pundits point to Morrison's comments in April last year, likening the states that kept their hard borders up as cave people from the movie The Croods. And the coalition briefly supported Clive Palmer's High Court bid to have the border torn down. Claire, what else was notable about Labor's victory? What we've seen is a change of government without a landslide. Uh, At every other election since World War II, where there has been a change of government, the incoming administration has had a healthy majority. This time, Labor is scratching for the 76 seats to have a majority of one. And that could change how they pursue their agenda for the next term in Parliament. Claire, when you put aside the issues of Scott Morrison's popularity, managing cost of living pressures was a big issue in the campaign. And that seems to have had an impact on how some people voted. Yeah, so what the experts say is that Morrison was correct when he said that there were two tiers of voters whose concerns were largely income-based, cost of living played out in the suburbs and the regions, while climate change and issues of integrity were front of mind in those teal seats. We'll get into the independents next, but let's have a look at what happened in the suburbs and the regions. Well, what happened was patchy in terms of the results, but we can generalise and say that both affluent and voters who were more sensitive uh, to cost of living pressures punished the coalition. Uh, There were seats on the edges of the capitals that the coalition was hoping to do quite well in or even take from Labor. They didn't go their way, um, even though the coalition believed their messages about strong economic management would prevail. 
One notable exception was Bridget Archer, who held her seat of Bass in northern Tasmania for the coalition. That was quite an achievement, Claire. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, she was, of course, a non-government government candidate. Uh, she had a history of going up against Scott Morrison and she says that she reckons her stances for integrity in politics and other things probably helped her hold on to her seat. Speaking of integrity, Claire, Labor's strong messaging about support for an integrity commission and deeper action on climate change also helped the party. Yeah, in some seats it certainly did. Uh, In others, like those seats north of Brisbane, it didn't. And that's the swings and roundabouts of a federal campaign. Uh, But the coalition also struggled with parts of its platform. And here we are with a very big crossbench. All right, let's get on with that next. Just to finish off first, though, with the coalition, they have to elect a new leader and frontbench. Peter Dutton is shaping up as the man who will lead the Liberals in opposition. The timing of all of that is still to be sorted out. As for Labor, its caucus will get together to confirm its ministry on the 30th of May. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. The Greens and the Teals, what an election result for them. There's a lot of commentary that this election was in part a rejection of both major parties, and it seems that it's arms wide open for other candidates, Claire. Yeah, so this part of the result is quite remarkable. Uh, As we said, the biggest crossbench since World War II. So in this election, the six crossbenches from the last parliament were retained uh, and with increased margins in some parts. And it looks like another nine will join them. So that comes to a total of 15. To start with, the Greens did well in Brizzy. Yeah, they sure did. Uh, Not only did they pick up uh, an inner city seat from the coalition, which is Ryan, they picked up one from Labor too. That's the seat of Griffith that was Kevin Rudd's old seat. And what they say is that they ran strong local campaigns, picking up on local issues of concern, uh, things like mitigation for airport noise. There were no Teal candidates running in Brisbane. And when we talk about the Teals, we're talking about the candidates backed by Simon Holmes Accord and his Climate 200 fundraising group. Yeah, they're the group who are independents. They're not a party. Uh, and they do have very similar positions on climate action and the establishment of an integrity commission, for example. And in this election, they've had great success in picking off liberal incumbents in affluent electorates in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. So this goes back to where Morrison's theory about the two tiers of the income spectrum comes in. And in these seats, where the Teals were successful, the things they were standing on really resonated with voters. 
enough to defeat MPs like Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and Tim Wilson and others in some of the seats that they won. They had double-digit swings, and that's really hard to produce as a first-time independent candidate. Yeah, so there's a lot of unpicking exactly what went down, but it seems to be a change on how voters in those seats look at climate change as an issue. That's right. And it's worth noting that it's the first election uh, of the last handful where the coalition has lost the climate debate since 2010 under Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull, Scott Morrison in 2019. The coalition effectively weaponised climate change as a policy. uh, And this time around, it was on the receiving end. So a crossbench of 15 people is a lot. And I imagine it's a change for the parliament too, Claire. It will be, but these are a group of people who mostly sit quite comfortably with Labor's agenda, so Albanese should have a better time making a go of it than the Coalition ever could. Uh, That's not to say it'll be easy, uh, and it's going to be really fascinating for people like us, Eliza, who really love politics and can't wait to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, and if it's anything like election night, it could be a wild ride, Claire. Uh, That's your shortcut to digging into the election result. Now on to recommendations. Claire, can I recommend a very good Four Corners on the election? I'm biased, of course, because it was a story put together by my husband, Adam, and his colleague, Mary Fallon. But it talks to swinging voters and political insiders from both sides, so I think it's a really good watch. You can absolutely recommend that. It was a really good watch. I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, A lot of the changes of seats happened in the cities. So I'm recommending a link to ABC's Story Lab. They have a visual breakdown of the results and it's really great if you're a visual person like me. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too, Claire, so that's one to have a look at. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about our shortcuts. It helps us to grow. And if you want us to look at a particular topic, get in touch at hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.